Murphy, millennial expert Brian Boucher, Bruce Taylor Swift, politically incorrect. Michael Savage says, stop the mass hysteria. And comedian Michael Jr. performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, from the eye of Hurricane Michael, here's Mike Huckabee! I love this audience. We are going to keep them. They're not going to be able to leave. They're going to stay over until next week when we tape next week's show. They're that good. Well, about eight years ago, my wife and I built our dream house on the Gulf Coast in the Florida Panhandle. We moved into it seven years ago. Both of us grew up so poor that, quite frankly, neither of us thought we'd ever see salt water in person. That's the truth. Now, because we knew nothing about living near a coast, we built a house that exceeds hurricane-resistant building codes just to give us an extra sense of security. We hoped we'd never have to find out about the structural integrity of the house. But this past week, it was put to the test with Hurricane Michael. Just two miles per hour short of a Cat 5 hurricane and by far the biggest storm to hit the Florida panhandle in recorded history and the fourth biggest hurricane in U.S. history. The worst of the damage was east of our Walton County home, over in Panama City Beach and in Mexico Beach, Port St. Joe and Apalachicola. Mexico Beach was pretty much destroyed, and heavy damage in the other communities will take years to rebuild, if ever. Now, I'd been in two tornadoes, and I had no interest in experiencing a hurricane. The beautiful white sands of the Emerald Coast of the Panhandle had enjoyed a long time without a hurricane. A couple of tropical storms, but nothing like Michael. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that I'm all that happy that I share the name of the worst hurricane to hit the coast near my home. <laughs> but I'm quite sure I hope to never experience another one. We were fortunate that we were on what's called the left side of the hurricane. As the monstrous winds make landfall, they swirl in a counterclockwise motion so that the brunt force of the winds and the water hit between Panama City Beach and Apalachicola, with Mexico Beach in the exact crosshairs. Being 20 miles or so west of Panama City Beach, well, it meant that our winds actually were the strongest from the north as the hurricane whipped around from the east. I gotta confess, it is the only time in my life when I truly wanted to be on the left side of anything. <laughs> now, as I flew home on Tuesday from speaking events to help my wife get our house ready, there was calm in the air. There were even boats traveling in the intercoastal waterway that I could see from the plane. I was stunned by how peaceful things seemed to be in our little slice of heaven. 24 hours later, we were seeing the force of hell itself as the waves roared to heights that I'd never seen and the winds howled around us. But then, just hours later, there was a beautiful sunset. And then, the next morning, a quiet, calm, and empty beach had blue skies and an eerie peace. Now, for me, there were several messages. I was truly moved by the messages that were expressed on the normally combative and snarky Twitter by people who openly identified as liberals who said they disagreed with virtually everything I believe, but who told me they were praying for me and hoped I'd be safe. I was genuinely touched by that because there was a level of civility that I just don't see that often anymore. Of course, there were a few jerks, like some ambulance-chasing activist lawyer whose hateful tweet caused me to block him. As I think if a person can't let go of his political hate during a hurricane, he doesn't need to follow me on Twitter. He needs to follow Jesus. That's what he needs to do. So, but I was also reminded that in all of our lives, there come unbearable storms, sometimes suddenly, 
and often threaten our peace, our safety, our very lives. And I was also reminded that after the storm had passed, even with the losses they can bring, there is a reminder that the sky will be blue again, the sun will rise and set again. And as the psalmist said, there is weeping for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Keep praying for those whose lives are forever altered by the tragedy of this and other hurricanes. Help as you can with contributions or volunteering. My wife has been volunteering through our church to assist in the cleanup and recovery. She worked in a local shelter prior to the storm. And then you can step back and be reminded we can't stop a storm, but we can step into the needs of our neighbors and show God's love that we can do. The death toll is in double digits from Hurricane Michael and its 150 mile an hour winds. Over 1.4 million people are without power from Florida all the way to Virginia. Parts of the panhandle look like a bomb was dropped. Homes flattened block after block. FEMA has stated that they're not even close to discussing rebuilding, but must stay in the life-saving mode for now. Joining us to assess this hurricane disaster and tell us how this team at Samaritan's Purse will be able to respond, welcome our friend Franklin Graham. Franklin, uh, this may be the worst hurricane uh, that Samaritan's Purse has faced on a domestic basis. Would, would that be right up there at the top of the list? Uh, Hurricane Andrew uh, was the worst up to this one, and this may be the worst, uh, Governor. But there in Florida, the Panhandle, this is uh, this, it's like a nuclear bomb went off. It's going to take not weeks, it's going to take months, and for some people, it could even take several years before they can recover. Walk us through what Samaritan's Purse does between this first moment of disaster and the recovery. Uh, first of all, uh, we'll, we'll help uh, homeowners where the, the facility or their building is still standing, mud out their home, try to get the drywall off the wall so that the house can begin to dry out so they can repair it at some point. Uh, if a house is completely destroyed, trying to help the homeowner find things that they're missing. Uh, sometimes it's a wedding ring, sometimes it's, it's a book of pictures, but just try being hands, just trying to help them recover what they can salvage. Uh, then as the storm moved inland where uh, houses are still standing but trees are on top of them, uh, we'll take uh, chainsaws, cut the trees off the roof. If the roof has a hole in it, we'll plug the, the hole up uh, to get the water out of it uh, so the house can dry out. Uh, we'll help them clean off their lots. But all of this, uh, Governor, depends on having volunteers. We've got to have volunteers, whether it's Samaritan's Purse, whether it's the Baptist or whatever group. Uh, all of us need volunteers. And I would just hope if there's anyone out there that would like to come down for a couple of days, for a week, uh, two weeks, whatever the case may be, uh, you can go to our website and find out how you can uh, be involved. You can uh, log on to SamaritansPurse.org and click on uh, the hurricane site there and you'll see opportunities. I, I believe that one of the things that, that you guys do is to not only assist them with the physical needs of food and shelter and assistance, but to love them. It is, Governor, and we, we take chaplains uh, with us when we go to uh, places like Florida. Uh, so it's, sometimes it's just listening, but it's there also just to put a, your arm around them and, and uh, say an encouraging word and then to pray with them and to open up the scriptures and share God's word. Because everything, Governor, we do at Samaritan's Purse of the Billy Graham Association, it's about lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And you do it very well. Franklin Graham, thank you very much. Let me remind our folks, the Samaritan's Purse team continues to help victims of hurricane destruction from Florence and now Michael in Florida. Please call or visit the Samaritan's Purse website. Make the best gift you can financially. Your help is seriously needed. It'll help provide emergency assistance and supplies, as well as volunteers and materials to help clean up and repair the devastated homes and lives. You can also volunteer to serve in this massive effort, and that's a great idea if you have the time to do it. This is a chance for all of us to be there in the midst of tragedy, all in Jesus' name. Reach out through Samaritan's Purse right away. The website right there on your screen. Well, we have some great news that Pastor Andrew Brunson has been freed from a Turkish prison after being held for two years. It was a major diplomatic victory for President Trump, Vice President Pence, and Secretary of State Pompeo 
who's put great pressure on Turkey's government to release him on charges of terrorism, which were utterly baseless. And we thank God for that and for the president for negotiating for his release. Singer Taylor Swift's recent comments against Congressman Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee lit a social media firestorm. My next guest is here to tell us why Ms. Swift may have missed the mark with young voters. He's a best-selling author, culture expert, and CEO of The Millennial Solution, and he's got some surprising news from recent congressional scorecard research. Please welcome Mr. Brian Boucher. Brian, good to have you here. Good to be with you. Let's talk about what she said specifically, because she went after Congressman Blackburn yeah. and said that Congressman Blackburn terrified her. And I'm not sure what that's about. Yeah, this is a word that I focused on. And I think as I look at my generation, an incredible generation, one of the most educated generations in American history, a lot to offer. And the last thing I want somebody with a powerful voice like Taylor Swift to do is inject more fear into our generation. We have a lot to offer. Uh, America and our talents. And I don't think it's a great perspective to offer the country at a time like this to plunge us further into fear, further into name calling, further into vitriol. It didn't make any sense to me. Let's talk about the millennial congressional scorecard. Yeah. What is it and what did your results show from that? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to Democrats, they're failing millennials miserably on economic opportunity. We measured five things. We looked at healthcare, we looked at taxes, we looked at regulation, first time home ownership. We looked at all of those issues, taking a look at whether or not Democrats were actually worth voting for in terms of millennials. There's overwhelming millennial support for Democrats, but what doesn't make sense is they're not doing anything for millennials in terms of economics. Well, if that's the case, then why do millennials basically support people on the left. What's what's going on? Yeah, I think Democrats get away with a lot of emotional uh, pandering. If you care about your economic future as a millennial, Republicans are the way to go, hands down. But, but there's a communication gap, because yeah. is it Republicans are doing a pathetic job of communicating? For Republicans, pathetic's a nice way to put it. I mean, they have... The, the, no, I've said it for a long the, time. The funny, I think the funny Republicans thing are is, terrible at communicating. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, Republicans have the argument. They're helping them in terms of taxes. They've got better solutions in terms of health care. I mean, Obamacare was terrible for millennials. The penalty, $800 a year if you're single, um, if you chose not to get health insurance. And when my wife and I got married three years ago, $500 a month, $12,000 annual deductible, that's nice, right? So I didn't get to touch my health care benefits. If I go in for a cold, it's all out of pocket, nothing, right? I want to tell you, Brian, it was good yeah. for me. I'm yeah. 63 <laughs> and I had maternity benefits. <laughs> you did. That's not good. my wife, that's me. Good. Yes. 63 yes. male, 63 yes. year old male. Yeah. And if I got pregnant, yeah. I was covered. You're, you're good. You're good. That's, I loved that's good. Obamacare, man. Yes, yes. You yep. never know when you're going to yep. need that. And if I needed a pregnancy test, I was good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what percentage of millennials will even go vote? You know, that's hard to tell here. I think if you've got Republican consultants out there, if you're a candidate and your strategy is you're just hoping that millennials don't show up, you don't have to look any farther than Texas, where Beto is just killing it with millennials in terms of crowds. And the question is, will they show up? I think there's a good chance they will. And of course, he's been out raising crews $38 million in three months. It's, it's quite an operation. I'm sure all that money came from Texas, by the way. Um, yeah, you know, right out of New yeah. York. So, um, you know, when it comes to millennials, they're supporting people like Beto. I think they may show up. I think some Republicans are going to be in for surprise. If you look at the elections in Virginia not too long ago, uh, Republicans got their butts kicked. They better show up. Yeah. Because if they don't, it's, it's going to be a tough time. And I fear... Yeah. Uh, that if we have Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer in charge of things, they're it the ain't going to be pretty time. They're yeah. the best of what America's got to offer. Ooh, I think we could do better. Brian, thank you for yeah. being here and sharing that perspective. Yeah. And before you young voters turn left just because the cool kids said to, I hope you just make sure that you're not being steered over a cliff. I wish you'd download this free report at millennialscorecard.com. That's millennialscorecard.com. And, of course, you can find Brian Boucher on Twitter at Brian Boucher. It's there on your screen. Doesn't spell like it sounds, so look for it on the screen. And uh, I hope you will follow him on Twitter and look also at his website. Keith, why don't you give us a little tour of the rest of our show, and you can give us a grade on how we're doing as well. I think it's going to be an A-plus. Coming up, Hollywood film star Nick Searcy, conservative host and author Michael Savage, and comedian Michael Jr. It's all ahead.
A shocking new film opened this weekend nationwide. It's a film that Hollywood refused to make because it tells the truth about a notorious abortionist. It's called Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer. Take a look. You are not going to believe what I saw last night. How many? So far, we found over 30 of them. Healthy woman goes into a clinic, comes out dead, and there's no police report? Files have been moved recently. Look at this. Prosecution has offered you a plea bargain, Dr. Gosnell. And I would have to admit I was guilty. I'm not guilty. Nothing that man did that protects women or children. And you don't have to be a pro-life activist to see that. Kermit Gosnell is perhaps the most prolific serial killer in American history. My next guest has appeared in many hit TV movies and television shows, including Castaway, Moneyball, Justified, Fried Green Tomatoes, and The Shape of Water. He not only plays Kermit Gosnell's attorney, but he also directed the film. Please welcome the talented Nick Searcy. Nick, great having you here. This is great. It's like being on the Jimmy Kimmel show, except, <laughs> except the host is unbearable. But I was going to say, I think I'm going to be a lot friendlier to you than Jimmy Kimmel ever <laughs> would right. be. That's right. This is a powerful story. Yeah. What made you want to uh, direct this film and get that message out there? Because it's, it's heavy duty. Basically, when I read the script um, by Andrew Clavin, I knew that I wanted to do it. There was, um, there's a scene in the movie where... The prosecution calls uh, an abortion doctor, and the cross-examination of her has so much information in there that I did not know. And I, when I read that scene, I thought, this is really valuable information, no matter what side of the issue you're on. And I, I felt called to do it. I felt like I wanted to do it. It was one of the things I was going to ask. How much did it impact you, just getting into the film, seeing what this guy did? I, I mean, he was... He, he was a butcher. I don't know mm -hmm. how else to describe Kermit Gosnell. Well, the, the shorthand version is that he developed a technique for doing abortions. He was not really an OBGYN by training. He developed a technique that was cost-effective, uh, but his technique was illegal in that he was inducing birth and then terminating the babies after they had been born. Oh, my. Oh. And uh, it was, it's, it's a terrible, terrible, horrible thing to have to look at. I, I'm guessing this film is at best a PG-13, because I'm sure that there's very powerful, riveting, and raw kind of facts that are uh, displayed in this film. Yeah, and we worked very hard for that PG-13. Uh, we felt very strongly that we did not want this to be gory. We did not want this to be a horror movie. We wanted it to be compelling and gripping, and it's about the people who caught him and convicted him. Why is the, the media so reluctant to take this issue on and at least just be honest about what this guy was doing. The fear of, about the issue of abortion is what allowed Gosnell to operate the way he did for so long. His clinic was not inspected for 17 years because the governor of Pennsylvania at that time, uh, the uh, Pennsylvania Board of Health said that they were under direct orders from the governor's office not to inspect abortion clinics unless there was a complaint. And that was because the governor did not want to be seen as being anti-woman or anti-reproductive rights. And that kind of fear is what led to that, those atrocities happening. And that same fear, I think, is what led to the story not being covered. How hard has it been for you to get this film into theaters? It was a difficult struggle. Um, we shot this film three years ago. Um, mm. We were still shooting on this day three years ago. Wow. <laughs> and it's taken that long from the time we finished editing and put it all together. It's taken that long to get it to this point. Uh, Nick, thank you for being here. Thank you for putting this film together. And I hope everyone in America who cares about this issue will see what is a shocking but true life film starring Dean Cain, directed by Nick Searcy, called Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer. It's playing nationwide. Find out where it's playing near you at gosnellmovie.com. Keith, tell us what's ahead of the show.
Next, Michael Savage takes on political harassment. Comedian Michael Jr. premieres a new film in your hometown. And singer Stephanie Owens and Dr. Linda Middle talk solutions to eating disorders. Did you know that you can watch our show anytime on any device at Huckabee.tv? So there's no excuse to ever miss a moment of our show. Catch up on what you missed at Huckabee.tv. You can also visit MikeHuckabee.com for sane and reasonable news analysis in these hyperbolic times. And enjoy a laugh on my Twitter feed, at GovMikeHuckabee. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a tweet that you can actually chuckle about? Well, I know that you're familiar with my next guest. He is a powerhouse radio host and author. He's the only member of the U.S. media ever banned by the British government because they just didn't like what he said on the radio. He's here to call for a stop to this type of leftist aggression in a brand new blockbuster book that you're going to love. It's called Stop Mass Hysteria, America's Insanity from the Salem Witch Trials to the Trump Witch Hunt. Please welcome the immortal host of Savage Nation, Michael Savage. Michael, great to have you back with me. Governor, I'm sorry I'm wearing the glasses, but given that we're living in volatile times, I had to go underground here in San Francisco. A man can't even enjoy a meal now without a bunch of bums running into the restaurant. So forgive the glasses, Governor. You know, if anybody probably actually needed to wear them in San Francisco, no doubt, Michael, it would be you. I mean, Maxine Waters, who is uh, from your state, <laughs> is calling for people to be hunted down in places uh, like restaurants. Uh, Crazy woman. Crazy woman. <laughs> How does she get away with it being a congresswoman who's supposed to be a law giver, a law maker, telling people to run after the political opposition and chase them out of if you see them in a filling station if you see them in a restaurant you chase them you make them known they're not wanted now that is the opposite of Martin Luther King Jr's message this is the uncivil rights movement I want to talk about your book because it is so timely right. it, it is almost like a perfect description of what's happening in America. And the, the subtitle may be the, the key, America's Insanity from the Salem Witch Trials to the Trump Witch Hunt. Let's talk about the Salem Witch Trials. How does that correlate to what's happening today? Well, the Salem Witch Trials are usually misunderstood. It's when a group of young girls became hysterical and started accusing women of being witches and men of being witches, things like that, you know. And it, it wound up, people were killed as a result of it. It was false accusations. Now we come to the Trump witch hunt. First, they started with Russia collusion. Then Mueller dropped that because there was nothing there. Then he switched to something else. Uh, then we moved on to the Kavanaugh hearings where we saw a decent Christian man. I'm sorry to use the phrase. He was crucified by the, by the, by the left. And now the rest is history. He's a Supreme Court justice. But Governor, they've done that to an awful lot of people and driven them out of the media, driven them out of uh, universities, driven them out of corporations. And that is what I mean by a witch hunt. Unfounded hysteria based upon lies or hearsay with no evidence. The opposite of American jurisprudence. Do you think that many of the people behind the hysteria, do they actually believe what they're saying? Or is it just a rhetorical tool uh, because they lost an election, they're out of power, and they're using this just to create disruption without really a goal in mind? You know, there were always rules to the game. You didn't go outside the field. And when, when you're on the field, you didn't kick the other man in the groin. Or when he was walking away from you, hit him in the back of the head with a stick. Those rules were all changed by the Democrats who persecuted Kavanaugh, hitting him in the back of the head, Dianne Feinstein. Instead of releasing this uh, letter from Dr. Fraud, I call her, uh, instead of releasing it during the hearing, she waits till the 11th hour to say, oops, look what I found and causes the whole hearing to be upheld, held up, and now an FBI investigation. But there's another case, Governor. You may recall the Dreyfus Affair, France. Jewish officer in the French military. Never did anything wrong. French anti-Semites planted papers in his desk and said he was a spy working with Germany. Completely fake. He was found guilty. Dreyfus was sent to Devil's Island. You may remember the movie with uh, Dustin Hoffman, Escape from Devil's Island or something like that. Well, it turns out the whole thing was fake based upon planted evidence. And 
It took 100 years to exonerate Captain Dreyfus. Look what they just did to Kavanaugh. It's very similar to uh, what they did to Dreyfus. I don't trust this Dr. Freud or Ford, whatever her name is. Do you know, as you probably know, that they're going to try to impeach him now if they take back the House? Can you believe this? Is there anyone viewing Governor Huckabee's program right now who does not want the hysteria in our streets to stop? Is there anyone listening to this show who thinks it's a good idea to chase people down the street, to beat people up in the street? What kind of world are we living in? This is not a society that is civil. It is an uncivil society. And Hillary Clinton had the nerve the other day to say, we don't want a civil society right now. She said, we can't have a civil society until we, the Democrats, take power again. I'm sorry, this is crazy, it's all wrong. This is a, an example of the hysteria that must be exposed in order for it to be stopped, Governor. And this is the message I'm trying to get across. It's through education, learning, and history that we may save this country. Well, I think you've uh, certainly documented things very uh, powerfully in the book, and I hope people will get a, a copy and read it. Uh, Michael Savage's new book is an important warning. It's called Stop Mass Hysteria. It's available at booksellers now. Be sure to visit michaelsavage.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Savage Nation. Now, don't hit, get hysterical, Keith, but why don't you tell us what we have coming up next? In the I show. can't wait. Coming up, the fun side of the news on In Case You Missed It. And comedian Michael Jr. performs. Plus, Mike's got a solution to political harassment on the rap. Right here on Huckabee. Well, from monkeys out for a drive to demanding dating rules, we've got the news that may have flown right by you on a segment that we like to call In Case You Missed It. That's right. Well, this is just in from our primetime file, or we might say our primate time file. A bus driver from India allowed a monkey to take the wheel of his vehicle. Now, the monkey was a quiet little fellow, no blaboon by any means. The monkey actually boarded with a passenger and spent 10 minutes at the wheel with the driver. While bus driver M. Prakish seemed to be having fun, the government's road transportation leaders were not amused. They suspended Mr. Prakish, feeling that he was risking the safety of the passengers on the bus. I'd say they seem to be going bananas over a cute moment. <laughs> None of the 30 passengers file complaints. If I were Prakish, I might be worried about the monkey trying to take my job. <laughs> After all, rumor has it that he's willing to work for peanuts. <laughs> One... One person on social media may have got it right. They said Prakish is clearly in the wrong job. He's a sensitive animal lover and could be an asset in a wildlife-related job. Let's just hope if Mr. Prakish decides to do something unusual again, he doesn't allow something that uses its tail to drive to take his place. <laughs> well, I can almost hear Chuck Berry's great song, Too Much Monkey Business, playing in the background. All right. Don't get angry out there. Where are the ushers? All right, whether it's your doctor, the plumber, or a minister at church, every relationship has its own social rules. However, we learned of one recently where there could be no mistakes because the law had been laid down in writing. When a man traded in his car recently, he accidentally left a list of rules that his girlfriend had for their relationship. He left them right there in the vehicle. Another guy found it, and he posted it on Twitter. It went so viral that he had to delete it because people thought his girlfriend had put him on notice with the list. I thought we might want to review a few of the rules that the mystery boyfriend had to obey in order to keep his girlfriend. Here they are. Number one, you are not to have a single girl's phone number. Uh -uh. Number two, you are not to follow them on any social media, including Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. Number three, you are not to hang out with Keegan. 
including his house or anywhere in public. I don't know who Keegan is, but I'll tell you, it's about time that somebody put Keegan on notice, right? Huh? <laughs> How would you like to be Keegan right now? Number four, you are to never take longer than 10 minutes to text me back. <laughs> Number five, if I say jump, you say, how high, princess? <laughs> and number six, if I catch you around girls, I'll kill you. <laughs> you can read the entire list of boyfriend rules. This is true now. You can read them all at Bored Panda. Okay, well, Dr. Mike wants to make a little bit of advice, offer some maybe relationship counsel to the boyfriend. If you cheated on her, you're lucky she'd take you back, rules and all. If not, tell her you're gonna go out and get her some flowers. And then, pal, change your name and enter the witness protection program <laughs> because she is cray-cray. She is nuts. All right, and finally, there is something strange going on in Gilbert, Minnesota. Birds are flying into cars, trees, and billboards and appearing to be drunk. Gilbert Police Chief Ty Tetcher wrote on Facebook, that it appears that some birds are getting a little more tipsy than normal. I didn't know they got tipsy, what's normal? Now you may be asking yourself, is there a happy hour for feathered friends in Minnesota? Are they downing Bugweiser? <laughs> Instead of giving DUIs, do Chief Tetcher and his officers have to give out DU flies to the disoriented birds? None of the aforementioned. Nope. Apparently, the birds have been feasting on berries that have fermented due to an early frost. Associate Professor Anna Pigeon, that is her real name, people. I am not making it up. Anna Pigeon from the University of Wisconsin's Department of Forest and Wildlife Ecology says that if you find a woozy bird, put it in a safe, dark place until it recuperates and can fly without crashing into things. Why not give the little bird several cups of coffee while you're at it? <laughs> Maybe the Gilbert police can just build teeny tiny little drunk tanks for the birds to sleep it off, <laughs> like Sheriff Andy Taylor did for Otis Campbell in Mayberry. Probably not, then they'd be jailbirds and have to hire a bird bondsman just to get them out. Okay, this story has clearly gone south and not just for the winter. All right, finally, a woman named Shannon is facing a unique dilemma. She asked other brides on a wedding forum page called Wedding Bee what she should do. She wrote, help, my first name is my fiance's last name. She and her hubby-to-be had been dating nine years. That seems like an awfully long time to make up your mind. Well, Shannon had always been wrestling with the idea of becoming Shannon Shannon. Now, let me get personal on this story, uh, future Mrs. Shannon Shannon. As much as you've struggled with this, consider the challenge other brides and grooms have faced when their surnames were a real quandary. Imagine your wedding announcements inviting people to the poor Saps wedding. <laughs> or the House Wreckers wedding. <laughs> and of course, let's not forget the Looney Wards. Future Mrs. Shannon Shannon, I didn't even mention the Seymour Butts wedding. <laughs> that may get edited, just so you know. <laughs> you have lots to be thankful for, and we wish you and your husband to be the very best. And hey, you can always do what the old Cher or Madonna single name thing has been, but look on the bright side. Sure makes your luggage tags easy to make. There you go. Well. Like a dentist's work, I'm sure you're glad this is all over, but it isn't pain-free for us. We read the news, so you don't have to. My next guest is an incredibly funny performer. He has appeared on The Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Oprah, and countless more shows. We chased him all through season one of our show to make an appearance, and we finally caught him. Though he may regret it, I don't know. Would you please welcome to the stage the hilarious Michael Jr. All right, cool. All right, so we're gonna have some fun. I'm live. We're gonna laugh and stuff and do some jokes and laugh. I'm gonna tell you about me. Uh, I got five kids. 
<laughs> yeah, um, and I travel a lot, you know, so I can see them all. Um, <laughs> I was just playing. I was just, I don't see them. I don't see them. Um, no, I do have five kids. Whenever you have a big family, you have to figure out ways to save money, right? We want to get our family pictures taken. Stuff was expensive. So we did to save money, right? So we all got in the front seat of the car, um, looked both ways, and ran a red light. That's what we did. That's what we did. <laughs> Two weeks later, a picture came in the mail. But my son blinked, so we had to do it again. <laughs> so I was doing that joke in prison recently. Um, I wasn't in prison, like, hey, I'm funny, get off me. It went like that. Um, the Bible says laughter is good like a medicine. I felt like I should take it to the sick. So we go to homeless shelters and prisons, and we're doing this. I'm at this prison, and I'm doing a joke about the red light. And 75% of the prisoners laugh. The rest of them, nothing. Then I realized what was going on. Some of them had been locked up for so long, the dude next to him had to explain a joke. He was like, see, nowadays, when you run a red light, they send a picture with a ticket in the mail. Then he looked at the dude next to him and was like, a red light is what they use for traffic when you go down the road. <laughs> and then he said, a road is what, okay, wow, is that, that's where we're at right now. Man. I don't really work that hard to find comedy, it just kind of shows up. Took my daughter to get a toddler bed. Um, it came with a 20-year warranty. <laughs> I'm just gonna wait some years. I'm gonna take it back. They're gonna, they're gonna be like, what's wrong? I'll be like, uh, her feet are hanging off the end. <laughs> and her husband's uncomfortable. <laughs> that was a joke, sir. You should have laughed right there. I know you was waiting to hear it from your wife. You was like, okay, I'm gonna move on. I like sports a lot for this next joke. Um, I'm trying some new sports now. Some friends recently took me ball hunting. Um, some people call it golf or whatever. Uh, <laughs> first of all, took all day and I shot, I shot a 121. That's what I shot. Um, yeah, yeah. Then we had lunch and it was like, hey, we gonna do the other nine holes now. I'm not going back out there. I'm not going. And they lied to get me to go. They was like, yo, the greens are awesome. I was like, cool. I showed up with some cornbread. I was like, all right. Cool, you got some. You don't, you don't need my cornbread? Working out is important, though. Uh, I was at the gym the other month, right? And, um, and I was going to do some cardio, right? But they moved it upstairs. I ain't going up there, man. Ain't tripping. Elevator or something. So I'm about to do some cardio, I'm about to work out, and I get recognized by this lady. She's like, <gasps> she's one of them. <gasps> I was like, hey, how you doing? She's like, Michael Jordan, you don't understand. You're my favorite comedian. Every time I see you, I laugh my butt off. I was like, uh. <laughs> Keep laughing. <laughs> Yo, in the gym we go to, right, has free childcare, which is awesome. Right? So the kids are doing like arts and crafts, and me and my wife, um, we at home. Yeah. We at home. Probably eating ice cream or something. Yeah, it's great too. It's great because it's 24 hour fitness, so we pick them up the next day. We're like, yo, good. Get... I used to play sports. If you ever play any sport before, you heard your coach say something like this to you before. He'll look at you and he say, listen, the stuff I'm teaching you here is not just about this game. You can apply it to life. You ever hear that before? Exactly. If you're a coach out there, you're watching, I need you to stop saying that immediately because it's not true. Let me explain. Straight out of high school, I got a job parking cars. One of the cars was really nice, so I took it for a little spin. Company found out my boss lost the account. He was yelling at me, screaming. I ain't know what to say or do. I thought back to my high school football coach. I was like, you know what, man? You win some, you lose some, man. You can't let this one loss get you down. <laughs> the important thing is, I went out there and I had fun. <laughs> and this is fun too. Thanks a lot. I'm Michael Jr. This is why we wanted to get this guy for the entire year we've done this I show. I know, man. I appreciate it. I know you kept calling and stuff. Yeah, we did. He was calling. You know, it's, it's, 
I'm looking at this crowd and I'm realizing they're exactly who you need to show up at a film that you've got coming out. I do have a movie coming out. It's crazy you should mention that. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, huh? That is crazy. Like, the timing <laughs> is ridiculous. Like, I just happen to be here and you bring up a movie. Well, but, I mean, it's coming up pretty quick. Yeah, like in, like on Thursday, yeah. one night only. Yeah. So it's one night only. It's called More Than Funny. And the way this thing got established is uh, I was doing comedy outside a club in Los Angeles maybe nine years ago. And right before I got on stage, I had a change in mindset about comedy. Normally, when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. And I clearly felt like a shift take place where I should give people an opportunity to laugh, which changed everything. So mm -hmm. I lead a club that night, and... Uh, there's people taking pictures, with the same stuff whenever I leave a club. But this time, I look across the street, and I saw a homeless guy. I had never seen a homeless guy outside the comedy club before, ever. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there before. That just means before I was trying to get laughs from people, so why would I even notice him? So what I started doing in my tours is I would stop at a homeless shelter or a prison or abused ch children's facility before the show. And then afterwards, we'd do the show. And I started sharing the stories with my ticketed audience about the people I met earlier. Wow. And what happened was we laughed, but then suddenly I shared this story, then the laughs got deeper. Mm. So when we did this film, it's called More Than Funny, what we decided to do was share some of those stories in the middle of the jokes. So we go from laughing to boom, we're in the woods with homeless people. Back to laughing on stage in front of 4,000 people, boom, we're, um, we're dealing with some abused children, special needs kids. So imagine you just watched a bunch of comedy, and then, uh, so I'm doing comedy at this homeless shelter, right? And this guy named John Ramsey comes in. And I don't know this dude at all, but I feel like I should meet him. It turns out he goes into the woods and finds homeless people and brings them food. And I was like, dude, can I go? So I get on his ATV with him. This is in the comedy special. I get on his ATV, we're driving into the woods. And what I don't know is there's a family who just got kicked out of the woods by uh, city enforcement. So they're coming out with all their stuff, the shopping carts, they're crying and they think we're city enforcement as we roll up on them. So I want you to notice what happens when we roll up and she sees that it's not city enforcement. We're not kicking them out. It's John Ramsey, and we're there to help. All Just right. watch what happens. We're out of here. We're not, no, we're coming to. I'm John with Hands of Hope. We're. I want you to be sure to go see Michael Jr.'s Fathom event called More Than Funny. It releases on October 18th. That's not the 19th. If you go then, and you've missed it. October 18th at your local theater. Find out how to get tickets online. Visit michaeljr.com or the movie website, morethanfunnymovie.com. All right, Keith, you tell us what's coming up next, but you've got a lot to try to make up for with this. Next, singer Stephanie Owens reveals how eating disorders threatened her future. And therapist Dr. Linda Metal offers solutions. Later, Mike has a message for public political harassers right here on Huckabee. There is mass ignorance about our Constitution and what kind of government we actually have. I hope you won't miss this opportunity to be challenged by a free course from one of America's most important institutions of higher learning, Hillsdale College. Go online and join in this free course today. Well, at a time when obesity is a national epidemic, you might not think that the flip side of that coin would be such a problem as well, but it is. Rising country singer Stephanie Owens once monitored every last thing she ate and then over-exercised to exhaustion in a quest to look perfect. She reveals that battle in her new single, Little Girl in the Mirror.
Joining me now is singer Stephanie Owens, along with an expert in the field of eating disorders, Dr. Linda Mental. She's been helping people with these issues for over 30 years. Would you please welcome back our favorite relationship doctor, Linda Mental, and Stephanie Owens. Great to have you guys here. Thank you. You know, it's, it's hard for me to believe, Stephanie, that you thought that there was something wrong with you. Uh, you're a beautiful young lady. You have a phenomenal voice and a great career ahead of you. What what triggered this? Do you have any idea? And I did start performing at a young age, and that kind of, I think, really made me focus on my looks. And I just wanted to be perfect, and I wanted everyone to perceive me as the ideal. And so I think that immediately just kind of started getting in my head and started focusing way too much on the physical appearance. Dr. Mendel, when I think about the, the extraordinary problems people have with eating disorders, mm -hmm. and it, it ranges really to, from obesity all the way to anorexia and bulimia, what, what is different in this culture that we didn't have 100 years ago? Because I don't remember ever hearing about an eating disorder, you know, in the 1800s or the mid-1900s for that matter. Well, you, they actually did exist back then. We just didn't hear a whole lot about it. But it's really interesting. When you look at a place like the Fiji Islands, they never had, they had one documented case of an eating disorder. And then Western culture was brought in through MTV and through media. And after that started to become much more of an influence, now they have a problem, just like the rest of the world. But how does that trigger, uh, I mean, maybe I could see it triggering a, a eating disorder of anorexia or bulimia. How does that trigger obesity? What you resist, you, you know, persists. So the more you deprive yourself of something, the more you want something, the more you feel like you can't do it, and then you get into this hopeless state and you just give in and give up. And a lot of us, and it's really similar with obesity, with eating disorders, a lot of us use food to cope with stress, to cope with emotional problems that we're having. We medicate with food, so that's one of the commonalities of the two. What triggered you to finally say, this isn't working, I gotta do something different? There was a really low point when I was about 13, um, and I had kinda thought, whatever, I'll get better eventually, and I'll just figure this out, but um, I grew up as a believer and um, accepted Jesus when I was young, but I don't really think I knew what that meant for my life. And um, when I was in that, that eating disorder, I finally got to a point where I was like, I don't really know why I was born, honestly. And I was like, prayed. I said, Lord, if I'm gonna get better, you're just gonna have to do this because I'm rock bottom right now. And I was just so miserable. And so I think he just took that. And once I kind of was like, all right, fix it, then he started to heal me, so. Dr. Mendel, what do you advise for parents or grandparents? They wanna help you know, their mm -hmm. granddaughter, their grandson, what do they do? It's really important to know the early warning signs. So when you have a child that's fixating on food and excessively exercising, dieting, um, you know, leaves after they've, you've had a meal and go into the bathroom. So we're talking about bulimia too, where they're purging, they're getting rid of the food. And when you go into a state of starvation, your, your thinking part of your brain doesn't do very well. Mm -hmm. So part of it is you've got to stabilize the weight and you've got to stabilize the eating patterns and then people begin to think better mm -hmm. and clearly, and then they can work on the core issues which are identity, who am I, what am I all about, control, releasing the control because we can't control everything, right? Regulating our emotions and beginning to develop into the person that we were, de were supposed to be. Well, I hope people will take the advice from both of you very seriously. I hope you will visit drlindamental.com. You can learn more about eating disorders. You can read her helpful blogs on health and relationship topics. You can also order her book, Getting Unstuck, all at drlindamental.com. And listen to her on weekends on myfaithradio.com. Be sure to explore the wonderful music of Stephanie Owens. You can listen and download her songs at stephowensmusic.com. That's stephowensmusic.com. It's also on your screen. Write it down. Make sure you visit. In fact, you ought to go to huckabee.tv because you can enjoy an exclusive performance of her song, Little Girl in the Mirror. I hope you don't miss that, the whole song. Visit huckabee.tv and hear this wonderful young lady's incredible voice. Keith, you want to tell us what's ahead on the show? Well, when we return, Mike's thoughts on elected officials calling for citizens to harass their colleagues. The wraps up next in 60 seconds. So this week, Senator Rand Paul said he was concerned 
that there is going to be an assassination if politicians don't tamp down calls for in-your-face protests and harassment of public officials. Well, I've got a few important thoughts I'd like for you to take to heart on this week's installment of The Wrap. So what's at stake in the midterm elections? How about simple sanity, civility, and common sense? Prominent Democrats like Maxine Waters say that no Republican ought to be able to go out in public to eat in a restaurant or shop in a store without being yelled at and surrounded by a hateful mob. Former Attorney General Eric Holder actually said, and I quote, when the Republicans go low, kick them. Now, this election won't just be about policies, but really it's gonna be about whether we think it's okay to be so filled with rage over losing an election that we become mobs, screaming at people in their homes, restaurants, movie theaters, or in their offices. Now, if you think that's a responsible and reasonable way to express an opinion, then you should vote for the Democrats who openly advocate such behavior. But if you find it disgusting to harass elected or appointed officials when they're with their families or just going about their business, then even if you don't care for Republican policies, I kind of think you might owe it to the country to repudiate the repulsive behavior being pushed as being okay. When one loses a political battle and it causes him or her to become so unhinged as to scratch a 13-ton bronze door or lay in the street screaming and crying, maybe those aren't the people that we want to turn the leadership of our country over to. And if you haven't registered to vote, do so today. If you have registered, then go vote. Because if you don't, you're encouraging the insanity that simply has got to stop. And if you do vote and your candidate doesn't win, then don't act like a five-year-old. For heaven's sakes, suck it up, smile, congratulate the winner, and do better next time. And that's the wrap for tonight.